It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW in Sitka. Today is Tuesday, October 6, 2020. I'm Meredith Reddick with Raven News. Sitka's municipal election is today. Early voter turnout is more than triple last year's count, meaning that Sitkins likely won't have a good idea of who won until Wednesday afternoon at the earliest. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. Earlier this year, as the coronavirus pandemic grew in scope, Municipal Clerk Sarah Peterson started to wonder how it might affect Sitka's municipal election, which she spearheads every year. Back in March, I kind of wondered what the election might look like and how that was uh, all going to come together. And ultimately, I decided for a couple of reasons just to keep things as is. I felt like we were all kind of I've been shook around like a little snow globe this year with things changing by the day. And so I just tried to keep um, something normal for folks uh, this year. As usual, there were many ways to vote early in Sitka's local election this year. Voters could vote early by mail or by fax. And polls have been open to early in-person voting for the last two weeks at Harrigan Centennial Hall. Voters heading to the polls on Election Day can expect plenty of safety measures in place. Booths will be spaced at six feet, and poll workers will follow a regular sanitizing and disinfecting routine. Masks and gloves will be available. Masks are encouraged, but not required. And while safer polls may have added some logistical challenges across the country, Peterson says in some ways the local election will be more accessible this year due to a new piece of equipment an accessible unit that provides assistance for folks who may be um, visually impaired. You know, like maybe if they need like a larger font, it's great because you can, it's just like a touch screen type thing. So you can mark your voting selections and then at the end, it will print your ballot. There's also another option where you can um, be read the ballot. Um, So that's a nice feature as well. While the city is prepared for folks to turn out on Election Day, Peterson says Sitkins took advantage of the early voting options, perhaps more than ever before. We've had a huge turnout for advanced in-person voting. Probably we've been averaging about 100 people a day for in-person voting. So, yeah, we've had a great response, and I'm happy about that. I was concerned. I was trying to decrease the crowd volume. Um, on Election Day. So I'm really happy um, that we've had such a great turnout for advanced voting. As of Friday evening, just over 1,400 people had voted early, most of them in person. That's more than half of the total voter turnout in last year's municipal election. Peterson says numbers like these are unprecedented. For the 2019 municipal election, we had a total of 411 people and we had 38 by mail. Um, and 342 in person. Meeting year in 2018 with a mayoral race um, and two props, two assembly seats, two school board seats, we had a total of 561 people that took advantage of the absentee options. So <laughs> this year, I mean, we're going to probably be three times you know, that number. But here's the thing. Early in-person votes are treated just like mail-in absentee ballots. They aren't counted the night of the election. Usually, Peterson counts absentee ballots on the Friday after the election, but she knew this year that wasn't going to fly. I decided months ago, I said, well, there's going to be so much interest, and I don't know what the numbers are. You know, it's going to be a completely different turnout in each of 
these for these each voting option. So we're going to start counting um, absentee on Wednesday, the seventh, and we will um, process as much as we can that day. We're going to start at noon. There are 13 candidates running for public office this year, including two vying for the mayor's chair, three for two seats on the school board, and eight candidates running for two open assembly seats. And those races in a normal year can be pretty tight. In 2018, for example, Assemblymember Valerie Nelson beat the third-place candidate, Brennan Carter, by just 28 votes. This means we likely won't know who won until Wednesday evening at the earliest. Peterson says she hopes they'll get through counting most of the early votes on Wednesday. Any remaining absentee ballots will be processed on Friday. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Sitka's municipal election is today. You can vote at Harrigan Centennial Hall beginning at 7 a.m. Polls close at 8 p.m. Beginning at 8, Raven Radio will broadcast live election returns. Electioneering is not allowed within 200 feet of a polling place. The state of Alaska set a record for new COVID-19 cases among residents on Monday, but a top hospital industry official says that facilities aren't seeing a spike in patients. The state announced 197 new cases of COVID-19, which is the number of positive tests reported to health officials on Sunday. Of those, 116 were in Anchorage, a single-day total for the city that's only been exceeded once in July. The Fairbanks North Star Borough recorded 55 cases, the highest total since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic earlier this year. Case counts in both Anchorage and Fairbanks have been steadily climbing in recent weeks. Hospitals are getting busier, but that's not unusual heading towards winter. And the number of COVID-19 patients doesn't seem to be spiking, according to Jared Kosin, the head of Alaska's leading hospital trade group. If you were to ask, how is the hospital world looking today? Uh, It's looking consistent with what it's looked like before, and there's no major alarm bells going off. I mean, things are, are intact. Kosin stresses that the situation at hospitals is what's known as a lagging indicator, meaning that it takes time for people to get seriously ill or need hospitalization once they've been diagnosed with COVID-19. After holding a news conference Friday where he declared that Anchorage was teetering on an edge, a spokeswoman said that Mayor Ethan Berkowitz had no new actions or mandates to announce. The city's case counts have nearly doubled in the last three days. In Fairbanks, local leaders met with Governor Mike Dunleavy and Alaska's chief medical officer, Dr. Ann Zink, on Monday to discuss strategies to boost testing and get people to wear masks. One problem is that while the CDC says that masks are a critical tool to fight the spread of COVID-19, neither the city nor the surrounding borough of Fairbanks requires them. Local leaders say there's confusion about whether it's Mayor Bryce Ward or Governor Mike Dunleavy who has the authority to impose a mask mandate on areas of the borough that lie outside the city. Jim Matherly is the city mayor. The governor's office has tried to put off to the borough, you do have the authority, but Mayor Ward has stood his ground, said I don't have health and human services powers. That has to come from the state. And so that's why we have not mandated masking or forced any closure of any businesses up here. Both Ward and Dunleavy did not respond to requests for comment Monday. 
Matherly says he doesn't want to impose a mask mandate on the city alone because that can encourage people to visit public spaces like restaurants just outside city boundaries but still within the borough. Matherly says Fairbanks has also experienced confusion and frustrating inconsistency with testing availability and turnaround times. He says he's in negotiations with the state to open a drive-in testing site within the city, potentially using leftover aid money from the Federal CARES Act. The group tasked with reshaping the future of the state-run ferry system is recommending the creation of an executive board, fewer vessels, and at least two years of forward funding for the cash-dropped ferries. As Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, the Alaska Marine Highway Reshaping Work Group wrapped up eight months of work this month and has forwarded its ideas to the governor's office. Tom Barrett, a retired Coast Guard Admiral and Pipeline Services Executive, chaired the group's 30-odd video conference meetings. He told the work group at its final one that the group's recommendations should be taken as outside advice. I've got no direction, steering, or limits uh, suggested by anybody in the administration. So it's our report. Um, People can like it, dislike it, um, adopt recommendations or not. Some of the changes we're recommending are hard and will require a fair amount of work to actually make happen. Governor Mike Dunleavy created the nine-person panel to evaluate the $250,000 ferry study prepared by Northern Economics last year. It did that and more, including endorsing the creation of a Marine Highway Executive Board to steer operations and long-term planning. The work group also recommends reducing the size of the fleet. Barrett pointed to laid-up vessels, including the two fast ferries and the Malaspina, which are moored in Ward Cove at the system's expense. They cost $170,000 a month to keep at the dock, and they're never coming back in the system. And literally, you may have to give them away. The group didn't reach consensus on every issue. Some wanted language endorsing progress on replacing the Tustamina, a federally funded project on hold until 2023. Tony Johansson, a road contractor from Fairbanks, has maintained it's too expensive. He recommended scrapping service to southwestern Alaska, where airplanes can take people and barges can carry freight. But you surely don't build a huge vessel that's going to cost a fortune to run for a system that it's it's on its deathbed, unless it gets more money out of, out of the state system. That raised the hackles of Kodiak Republican Representative Louise Stutes. You know, to just, excuse me for interrupting, but my blood is boiling here, because to just arbitrarily tell a good portion of coastal Alaska, well, sorry, folks, you're done. It just rubs me the wrong way. It is treating Alaskans poorly. It remains unclear whether the Tustamina replacement project was addressed in the group's final draft. It did recommend fewer sailings across the system, fewer communities served, ways to increase road access to coastal communities, and to find ways to reduce personnel costs. That was Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reporting. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News.